You are listening to the Dark Corner Podcast with DJ Evil Dave and Starfleet International Lieutenant Randy Jacob. Hello, faithful listeners. I podcasting. Try to get this time, probably to talk about the tower. However, since I have your ears all to myself, I thought I would talk more about Disco Elysium as the main topic, a video game that I'm very much into right now. In fact, I'm playing it in the background as I'm recording this, which will help ease in discussing elements of the game as I do a little bit of playing. It's not going to be like a playthrough proper, but I can discuss things as they occur to me while I'm in the environs of the video game itself. First, a little bit of news and reviews. It seems everyone's catching COVID right now. Nobody directly around me, but a lot of the podcasters I listen to. It took out all of Staggering Stories. I believe it was Jean that caught it and thought she just had a regular old cold, but they all went eventing together with hugs and etc. And they all came down with it and had to release a clip show instead of their standard podcast. One of the hosts or the uh, guest journalists on the Gargle contracted COVID, Freddie and Amy Morris of the Night of Living podcast contracted it, and he had it before. So it's still out there. People are acting like it's over, but sadly I don't think that's the case. I wish it was. I'm not a big fan of the virus. I just understand that peaks and valleys is how this thing kind of works. The virus adapts and mutates and seems to be done and over with and then people let down their guard and then they get infected and then it spreads and then there's another peak so it's pretty crazy being one of the few remaining people wearing a mask at work at least people don't look at me like i'm crazy or something but there's this kind of knowing nod you can give to other mask wearers like yeah we're we're just waiting for it to to resurge hopefully it doesn't the cases in utah i think the last time i checked was a hundred cases in one day and four deaths, which four deaths a day. I mean, if that was a serial killer, people would be losing their minds. But since it's a virus, people are just accepting it as, I guess, casualties of living life, I suppose. We're still doing HelloFresh. We made a really great soup. It was the first time I ever tasted kale, and other than it being a little rubbery, I liked it. We used chicken sausage and beans for a nice bean broth and then had some carrots in there it was a really good soup it seems kind of a weird thing to order and make for dinner you know soup seems like a eat when you're sick kind of thing but it was like restaurant quality soup so even the soups are good and yeah we're not being paid to advertise hello fresh or anything it's just brandy's trying to eat healthier and i'm going to go along in that journey with her because I should eat healthier too and it tastes good and you have the satisfaction of making your own meals. Though I do wonder about the talk about food waste because often we're throwing away the stuff we can't use. 
every once in a while we might bag it up and you know like a little bit of extra time or cilantro we might throw on a pizza or something but there will be times where it'll only ask us to use half of something and then we just end up having to toss the rest because what else are you going to do with it though i guess they don't say they're eliminating food waste they're just reducing it by about 25 percent and they've offset their carbon footprint so it's better in the long run i guess looking at the hello fresh box that everything was delivered in right now that I need to chop up and recycle. Uh, what else? Uh, in reviews, we're watching Star Trek Picard. It seems like Brandy and I are one of the, or two of the few people not exactly enjoying it. I mean, we're enjoying it for what it is, you know. It's Star Trek, and there's entertainment value that comes with the property. But there's a lot of people just loving it and loving the references and its tie-ins to Next Generation and to the movies and even to Star Trek Four. In fact, Kirk Thatcher appeared reprising, reprising, reprising his role as the punk on the bus listening to a boombox just as he did in Star Trek IV, and it was kind of cringe for us. Not only that it was a very ham-fisted reference to the voyage home, but that nobody really listens to Boombox on buses anymore. They could have updated it to him listening to his phone really loudly, because I've encountered that on the bus. It's got a lot of Easter eggs in it. In fact, someone spotted in the... 10 forward set the bar in los angeles that there was a picture tacked to a cork board in the background that featured the next generation cast and it was kind of out of focus but you could still tell what it was so it's kind of odd that you'd include that implying that star trek exists in the star trek universe and also references to dixon hill two in one episode and yeah discovery did some references too but it kind of tied it into the plot or did so in such a manner that it wasn't as deliberate it seemed you know naming a ship the nog it makes sense in the universe but in this case it's it's like star trek crossword puzzle which you're just kind of cramming in any reference where it might fit which works for a show like lower decks where references are part of the humor and star trek lower decks is a universe in which the people in the show are fans of star trek quite literally as in getting limited edition collector plates from star trek voyager kind of fans and since brandy has to do the unready room we don't just watch episodes once, we'll return to them for a rewatch, and it's a bit of a slog returning to an episode we have already seen. And I kind of struggled with the first season of Picard, but this one is really trying my patience, and Picard comes off a little preachy without really having cause for it, which is a bit annoying. Though Q looks fantastic in it, it's very well shot, it's Paramount Plus era star trek so everything is cinema quality i wish i could like it more but i don't hold anything against anyone who enjoys it because there seems to be a lot of people that are getting a lot of enjoyment from star trek picard and it delivering what they want from star trek it just isn't what 
I want from a Star Trek. And I can understand that because I really like Discovery. And I can see how some people would have problems with the focus on emotions and trauma. Don't really know how much I have left to say. I did install our air conditioner because spring has sprung and it's going to start getting much warmer. So I had a good time doing that. It was one of the easiest times I've had installing the air conditioner. It's a bit tricky trying to get that into the window. And the outdoor cat that adopted us had joined me, as he is wont to do when I'm outside. Come and follow me around. And while I was installing the air conditioner, he jumped up on the window ledge and kind of peeked into the window that I had open and was kind of looking to see if he could climb in. Though I know once he did, he'd smell the other cat and flee because that's what he does at the back door. He'll come in, kind of stop as if there was a force field right on the threshold of the door and then kind of either sit there or turn and walk off. Oh, Bandcamp Friday. That's something to discuss. I'm recording on April the 1st. I took a day off work because I don't want to be at work on April Fool's Day. Even though it's unlikely anybody's going to pull any gags, it's still annoying. I've not been closely attending Twitter or any other social media app because of the fake news and whatnot. I mean, things are weird enough that it's difficult to imply something sarcastic or sardonic or absurd in the world we live in right now. Just about anything is believable to a point. So it's a day to take things with a grain of salt. It's probably one of my least favorite days of the year, April Fool's. Me not being a great fan of the practical joke or the prank or lying to your friends for whatever reason. But it also happens to be the first Friday of the month and Bandcamp has reinstated their Bandcamp Friday policy wherein they waive their fees for anything you purchase from bands that day. And I picked up a few things. I was a little over budget but like Brandy was telling me earlier, it's a budget I set for myself, so it's like no worries. It's just about a saw buck over my budget limit, so $5. But I picked up a bunch. Speaking of Star Trek, there is an artist by the name of Klingon Pop Warrior who does covers of popular songs in Klingon, so with Klingon lyrics. Like, Don't Stop Believing... Warrior, My Heart Will Go On, and a number of other popular hits. I noticed her because she had collaborated with Unwoman, who is a previous Dark Track of the Week alum, known for doing cello rock, kind of steampunk, Victorian-era music, though sometimes leaning into more electronic stuff. So they collaborated on a charity album, so I picked that up along with the rest of Klingon Pop Warrior's discography. Really fun stuff, something I'd put alongside Richard Cheese doing lounge act versions of popular hits, and Dread Zeppelin that would do Led Zeppelin songs and other songs as well, like there's some Aerosmith they do, in a reggae style. I collect covers anyway, and these are particularly interesting covers, and there's that Star Trek 
edge to it as well, being a Star Trek podcaster, doing what the future holds. It just kind of fit really well with all these categories. So yeah, check that out if you so desire. There's some noises going on outside. Huh. A little wind or birds or something tapping against the window. Uh, yes, Bandcamp Friday. There is a Ukrainian record label called Ne Format Family. And that's N-E Format, F-O-R-M-A-T, Family. That released a bunch of compilations of Ukrainian bands called the Ma Pa collections. There's a volume one and a volume two that are available on Bandcamp. And they're Ukrainian metal, goth, punk, post-punk, that sort of sound. Just a collection of Ukrainian bands just rocking out, and it's really great stuff. I was listening to it just before recording the podcast. And I have to admit that there's some really great music coming out of Ukraine. I mean, Previously played songs by V, the uh, ethnic folk band. But this stuff is a lot more familiar, even when often the lyrics are in Ukrainian. Not always. Some are in English, too. But yeah, I picked up the entire discography by Ne Format Family as well, and I've been enjoying that. <laughs> Plus a song by Gothzilla Records, I believe that's the label. That is an artist called Call Me Legion, and they released a cover of Games Without Frontiers with proceeds going to charity. And on top of that, there's the new release by Gold, and that's with a lot of G's and a lot of D's. And it's some wonderful lady-fronted post-punk that I dipped into to kind of test out and liked what I heard, so I went ahead and picked up. And that's one of the Artifact record artists. Glue myself together So that you can see That I don't know any boundaries Impossible to read Where do I go? Who do I find? So I kind of cleaned up. I picked up a lot of tracks for 40 bucks, and to think that all that money goes to the artists, and because Bandcamp weighs the fees. 
Uh, speaking of music, I guess we can get into the dark track before I delve deeper into Disco Elysium. I'm staring at a screen right now during a conversation because this game has a lot of conversations. But let's get into the dark track. So inspired by Disco Elysium, I chose this dark track called The Forgetting Room by Seeming off the album Soul, the Self-Banishment Ritual. Seeming is a project fronted by the same guy behind Thou Shalt Not, which makes sense because both projects are quite experimental, and while they fit kind of nicely into that whole dark alternative arena, even being put on compilations by Project Records or was the other one, DJ Ferret did a lot of industrial type and dark wave type mixes, compilations. Seeming in this particular album, the way I put it on Twitter is that it's like art rock done by a dark alternative version of Peter Gabriel, but with a little more disco added. Because there's a lot of disco elements in this album. The guitar trills, the strings, probably even the fifths on like an organ kind of sound. But this song in particular has more of a kind of epic march quality to it. It's a little cabaret, kind of like, I believe it's True Love, their cabaret song. It grows more and more powerful as the song goes on, which you shall hear uh, briefly. I don't know why I'm reviewing the song before I play it, but anyhow, here is Seeming with The Forgetting Room. We were children when I met you There between the autumn trees You consumed me and I let you Burn me in the fallen leaves A thousand winters, each more serious Is separated earth and sky The blood was angry, blood was furious But the heart cannot recall just why No, the quill won't recognize the paper piano doesn't know its keys The stars are old and they can't remember Just what it's like to map the seas But when I look at you I tremble But damned if I know who you are A ghostly haze of sweet and senile as the stars And here in this forgetting room A rising sun's a setting moon And all the world fits in our hands And this forgetting room goes to sleep We're entombed by no high command There's nothing more to understand But in the happenstance of nature Without a name Well A random number generated 
closeness be our home. First we'd forget why there was fire. Then forget why there was love. And I forget what's next, cause I, I, I forget what I Probably a song about Alzheimer's that certainly references passing memories and the feeling of loss that comes with it. I do like the march. I do like the power of his voice. It's a striking song, and while listening to this album, really stood out amongst a whole heap of really good songs. And it made me think of this video game we're about to review after this break. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Staggering Stories Podcast 388. I'm Adam. I'm Jean. I'm Stephen. I'm Fake Keith. And I, yes, I am the courageous little turtle that's the first one to force itself out of its egg, scrabble through the sand, break through and see the sky before all his brothers and sisters, and then drag himself down the beach towards the sea and the adventures that lie in its glorious depths until he gets eaten by a seagull that happens to be passing before his flipper even touches the water oh. of life. <laughs> you put a lot of thought into that. Evocative. It's funny what comes to you during a budget meeting. <laughs> All right, so Disco Elysium is a video game. Developed and published by Zaum, which is Z-A, then A slash U-M. Inspired by Infinity Engine era games like Planescape Torment. And was written and designed by Estonian novelist Robert Kurvich. And that's all I want to look at from Wikipedia. The rest of it's going to be kind of my thoughts, and I might share some thoughts from the Get Played episode 
on this video game as well. So why I chose the Dark Track for this episode is because of its ties to forgetting, to amnesia. Because the protagonist in this video game and get played censored his name but i don't know why you find it out pretty early but his name is harry and you wake up not knowing who you are what happened what you're doing you even give are given options in dialogue to ask very simple things like what is money what is a book so if you want to go really deep down the memory hole you're certainly allowed to in dialogue but yeah you wake up after tormenting yourself in this drunken stupor wherein you have this internal conflict between your reptilian brain and your limbic system so kind of that ancient fight or flight part of your consciousness that ancient caveman brain at odds with your emotional center and as they're having a debate other parts of your personality pop in as well and this is something that will go through the entire video game your personality is basically fractured into 24 separate properties when you start a new game you're given an option to select a pre-build character there is the physical type there is the sensitive type and there is the logical type and each will provide you points in four categories your intellect of course being your intelligence your mental capacity there's your psyche which is kind of your emotional intelligence there's your physique which is kind of like your strength and endurance then there's your motorics, which is more like your speed, agility, dexterity, and so on. And under each of these are six fragments of personality or character, I suppose. Kind of like skills in a role-playing game. Like if you're playing D&D and under intelligence you had, let's say, investigation or religion or arcana. These skills have that kind of feel to them only they're parts of your personality as well since you wake up basically as a blank slate tabula rasa you can rebuild who you are when you are given the option to create a new game you can customize your character put points from one to six in any of the categories one being the very worst six being the best Though even that can increase if you wish to add more skills into it. It tops off as a stat at 6, but as you increase your stat, you're allowed to pour more skill points into a level. Let's say you have a physique of 6+, plus, but that plus is a 1, you could pour 7 additional points into your endurance. So let's go over a little bit what each of these skills entail, starting with your intellect. First is logic. That is your problem solving. And logic will pop up when you're making connections between different things, when you're arriving at some kind of conclusion. 
it's very a one plus one equals two kind of process. Things that make sense, that are sensible, logic will pop in. When you're perhaps in some kind of reverie, it'll go in, it'll pop in to tell you to, you know, like, that you're being unreasonable. Encyclopedia will tell you about the world. It's stuff that's locked into kind of the book learning you had, the few things you still remember. It will be prompted by looking at the bust of a historical figure, uh, the statue that's in town, when somebody mentions the name of a historical figure. Rhetoric is a form of persuasion using basically the principles of debate. It's sophistry. You're using your intellect to convince people of something. Drama is very interesting, and I was surprised to see this under intelligence and not under, like, psyche. But it is your capacity to lie and to recognize lies. It's a very fascinating part of your personality that speaks to you in kind of a Elizabethan manner, very Shakespearean. These and thous and sires. And being drama, it likes to be elaborate and even melodramatic. Conceptualization is a fun one, and on my first playthrough is the one I had be my signature skill. I put a point in it to start the game. And it comes up quite frequently, especially if you do pour points into it, because then as you're playing the game, events will trigger a check to see if your conceptualization will notice something. But it's the way you understand creativity and see art in the world. It is your artistic sentiment. It is the artistic eye. And so while rummaging through a bunch of discounted clothing, conceptualization will be the one looking for something that stands out. You can look at the bare face of a wall and picture some art that you wish to paint on it. It seeks to make meaning out of its environment. Visual calculus is fascinating, and as a detective in this story, you'll need it quite often to help solve the case. It is what you use to mentally reconstruct crime scenes, from a motor carriage crashing over the canal, to reading the footprints around the site of a hanging, to a breakage through a window. Visual calculus will help you arrive at conclusions as to what exactly occurred. It's a very cool skill. When you use it, everything kind of drops out into this kind of like map. Like everything gets dark and then there's colorful overlays of arrows or labels and it highlights the important aspects of the environment and then through the dialogue chain you can focus on what is most important in that environment and do it in different orders if you so choose. Moving on to psyche. Volition is important to keep up your morale. You have two types of health in Disco Elysium. You have your physical health, which you can be damaged by physical attacks, by discomfort, by injuring your body through reckless behavior. But volition, your morale, that gets damaged by hurt feelings, by embarrassment, by 
humiliation, things that you say or are said to you can hurt your morale. For instance, you lose your gun as this amnesiac cop, and then you find out that it is lost and that it could be anywhere even in the hands of children. And of course you're going to take a hit to your morale thinking that some kid is out there with a loaded gun that belonged to you and it's your fault. So you can pump points into volition to increase your morale, but volition also works for holding your shit together by being bold in the face of fear. Next is Inland Empire. This is a very David Lynch-like ability that if you want more David Lynch experiences in your playing of Disco Elysium, which is certainly a way you can play, dump points into Inland Empire because it will bring up hunches and gut feelings and is like a walking daydream. Inland Empire will allow this hanged body to speak to you and reveal its secrets to you. It seems to break reality and there is something very hallucinogenic anytime Inland Empire occurs in the game. Empathy is pretty straightforward. It's your ability to relate emotionally, psychologically, to another person. It helps with investigating to draw out deeper secrets in another person, to have them trust and reveal their heart to you. There is a delinquent red-headed child by the name of Kuno that you encounter very early on. You find him throwing rocks at the hanged body, and he uh, can appear to be a nuisance, but with enough empathy points dumped in, you get to find out his life story, the kind of tragic life he lives, and get a little closer to him and receive a little bit more of his trust, which opens up other possibilities in the game that if you don't get Kuno's trust, you'll have kind of locked away from you. That's something in Disco Elysium is there's many different paths you can follow. On my third playthrough, I was doing things I had never done before, and it was a revelation. Things I didn't think were possible in the game, I was managing to do. I was joining a communist book club, though I didn't quite ever get the opportunity to finish that because I had started too late. Something I should return to. I don't know if I'll do so in the current playthrough, but eventually I'll return to that. Yeah, certain skills will help you unlock storylines in the game, and you kind of have to choose according to what you want to do because you might not have enough points to do everything. So it's kind of a pick-and-choose sort of affair. Before you dump your skills, will open the world to you in this way or that. That's why Disco Elysium is friendly for returning to play again and again and again. As you can approach, even though you know the story, you can discover new things or come about revealing certain things through different avenues. There's not just one way to reach a goal. There's several options available to you. So next in skills we have authority. That's pretty straightforward too. It's sort of an intimidation tactic, but you also assert 
your dominance over a, another person. It comes useful in certain interviews to establish the pecking order and make it known that you're the one in control. Esprit de corps is your relationship to the police force in which you belong. This will help you understand cop culture. So as you awaken with all these lost memories and discover that you are a policeman, you can dump points into esprit de corps to become more and more the role of a police officer. Suggestion, pretty straightforward. That's using your charm to influence both men and women. Kind of a puppet master of sorts. Just hinting at things, implying things, allowing other people to think that they came up with the idea by just kind of dropping hints and allowing them to come to the conclusion, which is classic Inception type stuff. All right, we're to physique. You know, the first two stats and the first 12 skills being more mental, now we're into the physical stuff. Though still, strangely, they'll pop in and be kind of mental in their own way. First, we have endurance. You'll need that pretty early on if you expect to inspect the hanging body, though it's not something you necessarily have to do. I think it was my second playthrough, I didn't look at the body at all, and I managed to complete the game without ever looking at the body or taking it down. Endurance also increases your health points, so the more you dump into endurance, the more physical damage your character can take. Pain threshold is very interesting. It's how well you take pain, how you can shrug off any kind of injury or discomfort. Though what comes with this is also kind of a masochism, that there is this being drawn to painful things. The more points you dump into pain threshold, the more masochistic your character becomes, the more he seems to seek out the things that can injure or cause harm. Physical instrument is basically your physical strength. It is used for combat, for using crowbars to open things, to bash down doors, certain doors, and just your use of physical force to overcome obstacles. Electrochemistry is your connection to drugs and drug culture. It's your addiction, your body's preference for alcohol, for stimulants, for narcotics, barbiturates, anything drug-related, electrochemistry may pop in, but it's also kind of the party guy of your personality group, and anything sexual, though sometimes that will appeal to the physical instrument, might appeal to electrochemistry as well. Shivers is your relationship to the city. It will speak to you if you pour more points into Shivers. I just recently, in this playthrough I'm doing right now, had enough in Shivers to stop and fill the entire city around me, from the east to the west to the north to the south, even above and beyond. I just allowed the feelings of the city to engulf me, and it even reached so far beyond I contacted, for the first time ever, 
my police precinct and could picture events taking place simultaneously to where I was now, my previous police partner asking where I was. Which is fascinating because I'm going to meet that character later, and perhaps this time I'll be able to recognize and speak to him, so that's something that hasn't occurred yet. So I'm interested to see if that happens. Half-Light is your ability to use your body to threaten, to intimidate, to control. It's very dark, it's sinister, there's something kind of horror movie about Half-Light. It dips into really the dark shadow parts of your personality. It's basically just rage and hatred, disgust, just a very physical, intimidating presence. And the final stat we have is Motorix, which is your speed and agility, as mentioned before. And the six skills under Motorix are hand-eye coordination, which is useful for carefully manipulating things. And this can be firing your gun, which is something you might have to do if you want to get the body down off the tree without asking anybody for help. Though you can also ask people for help. I did that in one playthrough where I could not hit shit with my gun. Hand-eye coordination is also good for catching something that is in the air, like a flower that's floating, or if you're about to drop something, recovering so you do not drop it. Perception, pretty straightforward. Your ability to pick up clues, to spot things in the world around you. This will also occur in your dialogue tree as you're interviewing somebody. Perception might pop up to tell you, hey, you noticed this thing about this person. Reaction speed is kind of just your reflex. It's good for playing pinball. It's also good for dodging and just responding to things like opening a fridge and noticing a letter inside of it. You would think that'd be perception, but for some reason it was reaction speed, I guess. So you'd react to seeing a thing. Savoir faire is how sneaky you are. It's your stealth and it's also your style. So doing things smoothly, sleekly, slickly. Interface is manipulating something. I used this to deal with machines or tools. You can supposedly pick pockets using interface. I think you have the opportunity to steal drugs off another person right in front of everybody, and if your interface is good enough, you can do so without notice. But if you're looking to pick a lock or otherwise get your hands dirty doing something, interface is the way to go. And finally, composure. That is keeping your poker face. That is not showing that someone else has gotten to you. And it can be very important to your morale stat to have some points in composure so that folks won't know what you're thinking. In fact, I'm kind of tempted to dump points in it right now because I can level up right now. But I've developed the habit of holding off on leveling up until I need a certain skill. And so if the skill required is low, I might dump a few levels into it if I have any available. 
because they'll pop up sometimes in conversations, and you can leave the conversation and come back and try again. Once you fail a check, it's locked until you dump more points into that skill. You can also, if you're a cheater like me, save before making a check, and that way if you fail, you can try again. It's kind of a fun way to get through the game without having to dump points into a stat that you figure you don't generally need. So something like drama is like, I might not use that that often, but it might be for this one instance I need to do it. I might save before using it. So I talked about the dialogue tree kind of thing, and I guess tree's not the right term for it, though it has that kind of feeling of branching off. But it does so on the right side of your screen as you're playing, and it does so in kind of a Twitter or a Facebook sort of fashion, where it's this compact area that scrolls down. So while you're interviewing somebody, like right now I'm on the roof interviewing Klausia, who's a key witness slash suspect in this investigation, I can choose one of three options right now. I can say, nice view you've got up here. Is there a cleaning lady? I think I need one. Or no time for pleasantries. We have questions for you. So I could either proceed politely, proceed in a rush, or just do some small talk. Since I'm playing kind of an asshole this time, but I'm not really in a rush, I'll probably go to proceed politely, you think? Or should I go in a rush since I'm playing the asshole? I'll do three. No time for pleasantries. We have questions for you. Proceed in a rush. And then she'll respond. Right, she turns to face the wind, letting it dry her hair. It has a very novelistic quality to it, this game. And each of these skill sets, the persuasion, the half-light, the logic, will speak to you in different manners depending on the personality of that part of your psyche. For instance, logic is very Vulcan-like. It's straightforward. It's just delivered factually. There's no emotion really behind it. It's like a Vulcan. While drama, as I said earlier, is very dramatic, very Shakespearean, very actorly in its presentation. It's performative. Physical instrument speaks to you gutturally. It's primal. Encyclopedia has a professorial kind of quality to it, very instructor-like. The man responsible for most of the voice acting is Lenville Brown, a musician from London who had never had any major acting before. And the levels of nuance he gives each voice is striking, and it's a pleasant voice as well. In fact, there's a lot of musicians involved in the audio production for Disco Elysium, including the English band Sea Power doing the soundtrack. And so a lot of the text that is read out to you is done so in his voice though there are other voice actors involved as well, doing other characters. But as you're in the kind of Twitter scroll part of the conversation, which takes the place of where most games would focus the combat, instead you have these interviews, these interactions with other characters, and that is kind of your battle system in a weird way, is what information you're able to gather and how much you reveal of yourself 
For instance, uh, while interviewing Titus of the Hardy Boys, which is the local authority of the union, you discuss this woman who he claims was a victim of a sexual assault. And depending on what you do earlier in the game, you may or may not have met her. I mean, you have the option to just walk past shyly, which is what I did the first time because I was playing my own personality. <laughs> but yeah, you can just walk by her or you can speak with her. And I spoke with her, so I was already familiar with her. And so when her name came up, I was rattled. My composure failed and I was umming and aahing and fidgeting and sweating giving myself away to Titus during this interview. There is something I nearly forgot to say about Disco Elysium, and that is the clothing in the game. Each piece of clothing offers certain bonuses and sometimes penalties to your skills, like rubber gloves will give a plus one to your interface, there's glasses that will increase your visual calculus. There's some sneakers that will increase your reaction speed. There's a bow tie that will increase your drama. A trench coat that increases your empathy. And often these are tied into what kind of article of clothing they happen to be. Athletic wear, for instance, will increase your reaction speed. Winter wear might increase your composure. Your police gear might increase your esprit de corps or your authority. There is a police cap that will increase your authority. But at the same time, certain articles of clothing will penalize you. There's several jeans that reduce your reaction speed because they're too tight. There's other articles of clothing that can be intimidating, such as fingerless gloves, and that will contribute to your half-light. There is a hardcore mode that makes the skill checks more difficult, healing items are more expensive, so it's a bit more difficult to get through the game. And so you really have to utilize your clothing effectively to reach objectives. So if you're going into a particular interview and you know that empathy will be required or if authority is or composure, it's best to dress for the occasion. And I know other video games have had this kind of thing where an article of clothing will boost certain skills or abilities. Cyberpunk being one, and of course there's armor class to take into consideration as well. Yet this game is so rooted in traditional noir storytelling with some surreal twists and turns that it's a bit odd that you're swapping out gear for every interview. Sorry, the cat is uh, attacking my arm right now. So really you uh, dress for the job you want, I guess, in this game or or the clothes make the man. I suppose that makes sense that people might judge you by what you're wearing. And of course, what you're wearing can fit an occasion better in one instance than another. So it's a fascinating part of gameplay. And you'll find yourself going in, swapping out clothing, 
and going back out again just to give you that edge in interviewing or interacting with some of the non-player characters. And you can fail checks like empathy if you don't relate to the person with whom you're speaking. It can shut off an entire branch, going back to talking about it as a dialogue tree, a whole branch of information will be closed off to you until maybe you can increase your empathy and try again. Fun thing about the different aspects of your personality is they're color-coded depending on what stat they come by. So you have purple being your psyche, so suggestion will come up purple. You kind of have like a pink for your physic. So like physical instrument, electrochemistry will be in this pink. Your motorics will be in yellow, so perception. And even in perception, they'll put in parentheses what you're using, like smell, sight, taste, sound. So like perception, sight... Her hair is slick from the shower. And then the other color is a light blue for your intellect. So these really show up while you're in conversation, kind of telling you what part of your psyche is involved in the conversation, which is an interesting piece. And you can see these different colors vying against each other as different parts of your personality are kind of struggling to come out on top which one you choose to go with and your option to continue will be in that color too which is a fun addition i'd like to speak on the kind of art direction of this video game it has kind of this painterly quality to it almost like an oil paint which fits with this weird alternate history take the game has is it all takes place in this bomb-to-shit city. I think the city is Martinez and the country is Ravishal. And it's just this beachhead on this peninsula, which about 50 years ago was attacked by a coalition of foreign governments against the kingdom that was presently there. And this city has never quite recovered so there's no real police presence there until this murder happened. There's currently a labor dispute. There's a mob that has taken control of the union and is seeking to establish ownership over the harbor and is using a drug trade to fund it. So meanwhile, you're caught between the negotiator, this wealthy woman representing the Wild Pines shipping conglomerate, and this union of Martinez and several other places. It's a big union, I think even referred to as an octopus with how many different branches it has. Or was it the uh, conglomerate that was called an octopus? Well, it's two octopi fighting one another. <laughs> this huge conglomerate that has sent this paramilitary group in to deal with this strike and one of the members has died so the rest have gone rogue and are seeking possible revenge meanwhile the union the hardy boys are claiming to be responsible but it's unclear if they are or not or if they're covering up for somebody else so that's all part of the mystery and it's 
done rather well as a noir. Kind of has that feeling of, you know, a film noir, but done in another time and another place. Kind of like Blade Runner is. Just this alternate reality kind of film noir feeling. There's kind of rough sketches, almost like woodblock style, of the characters when they talk to you. And your character on the bottom of the screen has that kind of look too. I did play my previous playthrough. I never looked in the mirror, so I never knew what my character looked like. I was surprised it didn't bring up like a hidden trophy or something, because I could see that being a fun hidden trophy is to never know what your character looks like the whole game. To go through the whole game not ever looking at yourself. It'd be an interesting uh, achievement. So the level, the setting, is actually rather small. There's just the city of Martinez, then you can go across the channel and explore the coast, where there's a small village, a church, a boardwalk, and some boarded-up old industrial buildings. And then there's the the harbor and you know, very few locations, but they m make the most out of it, mostly by having you go back and forth as you unlock more and more details, you go back and talk to people you've talked to before to reveal more information, to open up more avenues of investigation. So it just kind of snowballs as you go around in circles. Yet it doesn't quite feel like fetch quests like they might in a role-playing game. Or go do this and I'll let you do that. It feels integral. It feels like part of the investigation that... People aren't going to reveal certain things until you have that piece of knowledge that backs them in the corner and then they'll have to tell you what's really going on. So there's a lot of being put on the run around. And yeah, you get to confront them too when they do. You can tell them, hey, you know, you sent me on a wild goose chase for no reason when you had this information all along. Something else with the art you see in your skill choices, there's weird painted kind of like Francis Bacon-y surreal images representing almost like tarot cards each aspect of your personality. Like the encyclopedia has an open book. Above it seems to be a brain, a very large brain sitting on top of the book, and then under it is this skull-faced figure. And so the book appears to be like a hat or a wig, and then the brain on top of that. Inland Empire is a circle that seems to be containing a whole universe of its own. Half-Light is a red-faced, very demonic-looking figure that seems to be in the motion of swinging a fist and is gritting its teeth. Reaction speed is almost cubic in its presentation, like cubist is that it appears to be a head doing a double take, but done with the exposure set so you catch the entire image in one thing. Like you have the face in one direction, you kind of see an ear at the front, then a face facing forward, and then off to the side. So it's like you took a picture of somebody as they turned their head abruptly, and you just got a blurry image of them turning their head. You can use your skill points to increase your skills under your stats, or you can choose to open up some thought processes, which is a very unique thing to this game and ties in 
to you rebuilding your personality, your memories. It is called your thought cabinet, and there are 12 available slots to learn a new thought. You start with three free slots available, so you don't have to do these. You can instead dump your skill points into skills, though you can get certain bonuses for unlocking various thoughts, of which there are many. It looks like there's well over 20, possibly 50 thoughts altogether, and to think that at most you can unlock 12 gives you quite a few different builds you can create. And thoughts unlock after certain behaviors, certain things you do. Right now, like I said, I'm playing an asshole. I'm playing a racist, fascist, libertarian dickweed. I've not shaken anybody's hand when it's offered. So really quite the dick. I've made racist comments as this character and uh, just been a general fascist saying really horrible things about you know being a dominant person and not liking immigrants or liberals or academics or anything like that. I'm specifically playing this one to unlock certain achievements and also just to explore content of this game because you don't have to play as a fascist. In fact, my instinct is often not to. I tend to go with the moral intern, which is its own problem that I'll get into. But yeah, depending on how you behave in the game, how you respond to things in the game, you can unlock these thought processes, which take time to learn. I don't have anyone available to learn at the moment, but some can take under an hour, other ones can take several hours. For instance, let's talk about my guy being a nationalist. The bonus from this thought process is that dialogue options damage one morale whenever I'm a Nazi. Also that alcohol provides plus two to FYS. Now, what is FYS again? I think they meant my physique. <laughs> I don't know why it's spelled with an F. So yeah, all my physique stuff, because when you drink alcohol, it actually without the nationalism thing, would provide just plus one to your physique and would, I think, minus one to your morale. This give me a bonus one. And it is in the nature of this game to make those kind of connections, that there's a connection between nationalism and beer drinking. In fact, when you choose the thought process, it brings up beer a lot. And if you think about dictators and the people who say, well, is it somebody you could drink a beer with? I want to vote for somebody I can sit down and have a beer with. What exactly are they saying? Are they being a nationalist? It's interesting how the game ties in different elements. For instance, when I was being somewhat of a feminist in a previous playthrough, it brought up the option to become a fascist and found it to be incompatible. I couldn't be both at once. Because fascism is wrapped in masculinity, in the patriarchy, in toxic masculinity, that being a feminist did not play well with that. And so I'd have to forget that I was a feminist if I wanted to open up being a fascist. And it'll bring that up too, is that the enemy of fascism is 
women. If you think of involuntary celibates and other Nazi people and their behavior around women, if you think of the anti-abortion people and anti-women's rights people, uh, folks that think that women should have a subservient position in society. Yeah, it's all wrapped up in that nationalism. See, another thought I unlocked is the Anti-Object Task Force. This I unlocked by busting open doors and cracking open containers. And it gives me a plus one to pain threshold. And all my physical learning caps are raised by one, which means that... I can dump those seven endurance points into endurance if I so desire. I also have indirect modes of taxation. That's kind of the libertarian aspect of, you know, tax avoidance. And any ultra-liberal dialogue options give me a plus one real, which is the currency in the game. So I'll just make a dollar every time I make an ultra-liberal response to something. However, I also suffer minus one empathy because I'm a hustler and I don't think of other people as being human beings. So each of these, like how the skills under your stats are presented, have kind of a painterly design to them, and they're all very surreal, very Francis Bacon-esque. There's something disturbing about them. There's very fleshy colors and they're, I guess the word for it is grotesque. Even some of the more friendly thoughts are grotesque in their design, like Aces High, in which I develop a rapport with Kim, who we haven't talked about much yet. If I have a developed a rapport with him, you know, I have a plus one empathy and a plus one esprit de corps, so I have a plus one empathy towards Kim Kisaragi, and also a plus one to my being a cop, because Aces High is a gesture, it's basically a high five that people around Ravishol are known for. It's kind of a, a holdover from the revolution that Ravishol lost, but there's folks that still do high fives, and it's just kind of a bit of nationalistic pride in a way without being Nazi. It's a weird thing. Just a holdover from the revolutionary days. But yeah, the images are quite grotesque for depicting each of the thought processes under the thought cabinet. So yeah, I guess we should talk about Kim. He's your partner from a different precinct. I think you're from the 41st and he's from the 57th. And you're made to work together on this case. Both your suppositions is that it's likely because you're the screw-ups somehow. Well, you're the screw-up. He is probably because nobody else would. He's somebody that seems to take on responsibility. He's, you could say, uptight. He's tightly wound. He's very much composed, using that term again. In fact, there's opportunities to ask him to reveal a secret, and he'll raise an eyebrow and just look at you until you back down because he just has that kind of authority and you just can't quite break through supposedly you can break through i haven't been able to yet he will reveal a secret but i haven't had the fortune though he seems like he's a foreigner he grew up in ravishal he's a ravishal ravishal national so 
you'll encounter racists in this game a lot. There's a lot of people that believe in phrenology and cultural superiority and racial superiority and it occurs a lot within people throughout the game. You can choose to follow or you can choose to reject that philosophy and Kim will judge you on it. Not too harshly because it seems he's used to it, which is a sad comment as well. I mean, if you think of this game being social commentary, it definitely has that vibe that he's just used to it. But if you are anti-racist, you do earn his respect and you do get closer throughout the game. There are other secrets to his character that I won't reveal because if you want to pick up this game and play it yourself, I think there's some value in leaving things to be discovered. He's your partner. There's an achievement to really, really upset him, to try his patience, to disappoint him. And I'm kind of loath to do it, even though I'm one of these people that likes to unlock every achievement. It's one that I would find very difficult doing. I might have to one of these days. But he's such a lovable non-player character that you just don't want to disappoint him and anytime he does get disappointed in you it kind of hurts a little that's what's weird about this game is it's so involved in psychology and empathy that disappointing your partner in the investigation stings a little even though it's just a game i think kim is a remarkable character Probably one of the best characters I've ever encountered in a video game. He can be funny. He can be taciturn. There's even some sadness to him on occasion. And even how you're depicted in your pictures. He's stone-faced, peering through a pair of glasses, basically reading you with a perfect circle behind his head like a moon. Meanwhile, you're... With these mutton chops, this stupid grin, and this unkempt hair, and there's just blue and yellow colors just splashed around you chaotically. Kind of indicating your two different personalities is this one of chaos and, and drunkenness and idiocy, even, and then complete composure. There are some fascinating characters in here. Titus is this union worker who's gigantic powerfully built man in a trucker hat with the sounds like a southern accent and he seems to give off what we'd see these days as a mega type but he'll be the one to call you out for being racist and his group that he runs with is diverse they come from all different places including one gay character in his posse so a fascinating complex character and it's just littered with these characters like the union boss is is a shit but the confidence in which he speaks to you that you get the sensation that he controls everything that everything that's taking place in Martinez is by his will but every once in a while you can break through that veneer and really anger him and upset him and surprise him and that is fascinating it's kind of a tone of great sorrow and depression to the game because you are in this bombed out city where a bunch of losers and outcasts have gathered it's like the ends of the earth 
There's nowhere else for them to go, really. And even the people there are threatened by possible progress to be pushed out of their homes by further development under the Union. So it's fascinating and complex. It takes you on wild different adventures, like you can assist these teenagers in developing a nightclub wherein they'll be pushing their amphetamine trade. You can kind of halfway help them, all the way help them, not help them at all. You could possibly even arrest them. I haven't done that yet. I might do it this playthrough just to see what happens. You also find out about the pale, which is this nothingness that surrounds the world and seems to be growing. And so there's this existential angst, this proximity of death and dissolution that's always at the edges. And you wake up unaware of it, but if you pursue it, you learn more about it, it can be very devastating to realize, oh, everybody's here knows this is happening, and they just are getting by, just pushing forward. And it just kind of feels like life under the pandemic was a little bit. It's like we're all aware of death around every corner, but we're just persisting. This game will surprise you by opening lines of dialogue you might not have expected. You can talk to somebody just kind of out of the blue, just randomly, and discover, oh, I already know this person, and they know about my drunken history, and they knew me by a different name. Or you can discover the history of the city by speaking to somebody who was there during the revolution, fought in the revolution, and hear the bitterness of having lost and having to live and remain in the city that is now ruled under a different governmental entity. And all the while, you get to choose your behavior, choose how you respond to the world around you and grow your personality and establish relationships with the other characters around you, whether they like or hate you. There's a woman on a pier, a jetty, I believe it's actually called, that you can take out on a date, for instance. It's fascinating that once you know the end game, you can still return to it and find different paths there. I think that's the fun aspect of this game, is like the Hindu saying that there are many roads to the same destination, like many paths to the same heaven, so that you can reach certain objectives either forcefully or through guile or through suggestion, that there's not just one-to-one -one problem solution. You can reach an objective in various ways. For instance, the doomed commercial district, which is said to have a curse over it in which all these businesses have failed other than one dice maker who makes dice for role-playing games, which is a fun kind of meta thing. So that there's all these businesses that failed in one way or another, mostly all because of just depression and the weight of capitalism. Or is it? But there's two ways into the doomed commercial district that I could figure out. There might even be more. One is to just bust the door down. That's in this bookshop. It has a whole bunch of charms and trinkets around it protecting the bookstore from the curse. But you can just bust open that door and go exploring. Or you can lie to the bookstore owner and tell her that you're investigating the curse 
and you're there to put an end to it and she'll basically just give you the key and let you open the door and go exploring. And these kinds of options are presented throughout the game, though it's also possible to lock yourself out of both if you don't have enough points dumped into whatever skill provides you the solution. On the downside, sometimes that happens where you don't have points enough in either ability that you've locked yourself out of multiple ways to progress in the game, and this occurred to me late in the previous game, and I had to basically wander around trying to build up my experience to at least increase one of those abilities by one so I could get into this area and advance the game. So that was a bit of a chore and was very time-consuming trying to hunt down things that would give me experience. Because you get experience through dialogue, through completing tasks that you can put in your journal. If I look at my journal now, for Monday I have to ask Kim about the pissing competition between our two police precincts. I could report my badge missing. I need to find out who made the call reporting the crime. I need to find the rest of the armor that belonged to the hangman. I need to find out about the victim's tattoos. I need to find out who put clothes in a trash bin. I need to get two signatures for Everart, who is the union leader. I need to find the murder weapon. I need to buy some pants off Kuno. That is the first time I've had that objective, because it was just something I mentioned in the dialogue tree and suddenly we're going to be in some financial dealings. I need to find the traffic hooligan, and I need to find money for rent to pay Gart, the innkeeper. Now, these are all objectives that opened on Monday. I'm actually playing on Tuesday, which I only have three things that opened. I need to find a cryptozoologist. That's a whole side mission that is wild. I need to speak to the assault victim, which is what I'm presently doing. And I need to find speed and sniff it, which is something I unlocked by picking up some speed from a medicine cabinet. It's weird what this game will reward you for. It will give you experience for doing bad things, for making poor choices, like doing drugs. But it's in keeping with playing the character. It's like a role-playing game in that respect, in that you're awarded for good role-playing. A role is not always making the right decisions. A role is playing a part. And if you're playing the part of this drunken detective, taking a sip of beer might award you some experience points. Another weird aspect of this game that I don't particularly care for much, but once you kind of understand it, you can work around it, is that time stops until you're interacting with something. You can sit with the game like on pause or like I am right now, just talking with the game, doing nothing, and time won't advance. Time will only advance if you're in conversation, if you're reading something, if you're interacting something. Going from place to place, walking from here to there, does not advance time. You could wander around for hours and it still be 12.16. 
it's only in interacting through conversation or interfacing with whatever object you're messing with that time progresses. It's a bit odd. It's a weird aspect of video gaming, but like I said, once you're accustomed to it, you can kind of work around it and figure out a way to find somebody to talk to or engage in some other form of communication or interface to uh, burn some time. Trying to think of what else to say without revealing too much about the mystery. Because I don't even want to talk about how I view the mystery for fear of kind of spoiling it. Though I do take some issue with the reveal, but I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Maybe just some highlights of my game playing. Just earlier, recently, I was talking to the pawn shop owner who is this guy who never sleeps. His store is always open. He's always standing there. He's tall. I think he's has a shaven head and he's bespectacled. He's like something from another world. And he has this projector just playing lights. And he's high on some drug that you find out is medicine for radiation poisoning because this guy was at this disaster wherein this communist society developed a nuclear power plant and had it fail because they didn't know what the hell they were doing so they had a meltdown and he was there doing cleanup so now he takes this psychedelic to counter radiation poisoning He's a fascinating person, very kind of creepy, otherworldly voice because the guy's always high all the time. And he's very much interested in theory rather than reality. So you can go and talk to him about the nature of reality and have these really interesting conversations. But if you talk about the motor carriage that drove off his pawn shop like it was a ramp, he doesn't really care. It doesn't interest him. <laughs> It's only the like the turmoil that it would cause that would interest him, but the very fact that it happened doesn't matter. I already spoke about the confliction between being a feminist and being a fascist, which was a fun bit to encounter, and how this game deals with politics and economics and that sort of thing. It I suppose it can seem pretentious, but I find it fascinating, and it'll actually track your responses, whether your responses are for a superstar cop, which is all about self-aggrandizement. There's the apocalypse cop, if you just go around foretelling the end of the world. There's sorry cop, if you just go around apologizing to everyone. I've only had one of those. There's boring cop, if you just say the most plain thing possible with no nothing interesting at all. In your kind of economics philosophy kind of arena. You have your communist, which right now I'm at zero because I'm playing a full-on fascist. Fascist I have at 13. Ultra-liberal I have at five. And moralist I have at two. There's good cop, bad cop. Previously I had this number on a positive. Right now it's minus one because I've been taking bribes and just being a dick. There's also honor if you keep your word if you promise things to 
people to assist them and carry out that. I think you earn honor points. I did that in the previous playthrough. Moralist is your centrist philosophy, kind of your right-leaning Democrat, and they believe that change is only possible incrementally, that progress is very slow. Communist and fascist are pretty straightforward, communist being the power of the people, the fascist being the power of the few. Ultra-liberal is a little difficult to parse out, but my encounters with an ultra-liberal leads me to believe that they're libertarians, and they're largely responsible for selling out the communists to moral intern coalition government. So often in your discussions, it might bring up opportunities to trigger one of these counters. Like if you say something fascist, it'll put a little markup in <laughs> your counter under your fascist profile. Or if you're a sorry cop, every time you apologize, every time you say sorry, one of the funniest being is when it asked me if I wanted to be a sorry cop and I went, sorry? <laughs> it was like right on there. Bingo. I like this game a lot. I've been talking about it a lot. I'd love more memes related to this because there are bits like investigating the room for this student and would-be communist in which there's a picture of him or a group of people holding guns and your thought process pops up saying that revolutionaries love to pose with their guns and then thinking of the Christmas cards that a certain political party sends out with all members of the family holding guns is like, yeah, we know what you're saying. There's fun bits as a goth that I've run across, like you have an opportunity to, if your conceptualization is high enough, paint a mural on a wall. And when I first did this, I did this ancient pictograph of a human being that looks a lot like the Einstein the Neubauten logo, you know, the avant rock German band known for their metal percussion, uh, Blixa Bargeld on vocals. There's also a pinball machine you encounter, and I had the opportunity to ignore the machine, which is an alien sex fiend song. So every once in a while, something will pop up that is probably a coincidence, but just makes me think of gothic and industrial music, and I have a good time that way. I can see why this game appeals to me. There's this introversion to the character. There's all this internal monologue and dealing with your internal conflicts and your different wants and fears and desires and dealing with the unknown past and hints as to what happened in the past and whether you want to find that out or run away from it. It's all very existential in that regard. You coming to terms with the essence of you and how mutable that is, that you can change it. You can choose not to abuse drugs or take alcohol, or you can continue to do so and just continue that downward spiral. There's the philosophical aspect of it, dealing with these different branches of economics, and you eventually get into the weeds of communism and such extreme theory that it ceases to be a theory because if you 
question it, then by questioning it, you admit to not believing in it, and therefore you cannot question it. It's kind of the thing people have with, like, God. <laughs> it's like, how can you speak of God if you don't believe in him? And having gotten into arguments about morality with people who believe in God is like, it becomes such a prescriptive that God must exist for there to be morality that you can't go anywhere past that because they won't admit that the possibility that that cannot be the case. So even if moral philosophy predates Christianity, you still can't deal with some people regarding moral philosophy. And it's a good-looking game, too. It's not, you know, sometimes the game is kind of ugly, but this is just, it's painterly. It's cinematic in some aspects. It has a feel of kind of a top-down Sims kind of thing. Everything's at like this diagonal, but nevertheless, it still has a cinematic kind of charm to it, even if it's kind of locked into this one godlike perspective. Of, and you can zoom in and out, too, if you so desire, using trigger buttons. It does have somewhat of a point-and-click kind of feel to it. And you can turn on and off certain aspects, like there's detective mode that I'm playing in that highlights things worth looking at. You can turn that off if you want to make the game a little harder, or you have to actually go to the object and look at it and click on it to investigate it. I have it right now where they're kind of highlighted in this little halo of light, you know, just kind of a lighter outline. Even walking around, sometimes your personality aspects will pop up, like perception will pop up and tell you there's a bird overhead circling. Or like I said, shivers will pop up and tell you about aspects of the city. And yeah, even the art design appeals to me, whether it's the kind of rough sketches of the characters as they talk to you in dialogue, whether it's the color coding of your different personality types coming in to discuss stuff within an inner monologue, or if it's the grotesque, surreal images related to your skills or your thought cabinet. It's altogether a very lovely, fascinating, kind of dark and grim game. There are aspects of sexism and racism, and uh, there's slurs regarding sexual orientation. Some of these get censored, some of them do not. But I think it all fits within this era where it feels kind of like 1930s, but there's aspects of a future world like computers and electronic dance music, which in the previous playthrough I managed to help the teenagers perfect by getting some melody and some bass and beat to go along with the the standard track that they had, which is just basically trance, you know, droning trance. It didn't have much to it, but once it had the, the bass and the beat, it really came alive. Struggling to think of anything else to speak on. I think if I went any further, I'd end up spoiling aspects of the game. I just want to say I find it very worth playing. I could just keep playing through and playing through and playing through. There are moments where I was slogging through to get more experience, or it was a period between things I could do. Like the canal doesn't open till Wednesday, and so for the first couple of days, if you're a little 
further in the investigation than you expected to be. There's kind of some waiting around until you can advance the game. But generally, I very much enjoy it. find it fascinating. Really, it seems like this was the perfect medium to present this story as a movie, as a television series, as a novel. I don't think it works because there's a choose-your-adventure nature to the character of being able to rebuild your personality through choices that is so specific to a video game. It's like constructing a puzzle and it opens itself to playthroughs for that very reason that you can play different experiences and see how people relate to you if you're a communist or a fascist or moral intern or a sorry cop or what have you. With that, I think I should stop discussing this game. I could always talk more about it if I needs be, but I find it fascinating and I hope I haven't spoiled too much of the surprises this game has in store for you. There's some around every corner. I'm sure there's stuff I haven't even unlocked yet, so that'll be interesting. And there's things I've unlocked previously even in my first playthrough that I haven't unlocked again because of whatever choices I've made has not made that available to me. So yeah, even knowing how the game unfolds, you can still miss stuff just by taking a left turn instead of a right in a dialogue tree. So uh, I don't know if I have any shout outs. I already made several recommendations in my Bandcamp Friday reviews. Uh, check out Brandy on the Unready Room. They're going to, going to do a double episode tomorrow, but those are up on YouTube. The Unready Room under Kurt Ratz Productions. That's Star Trek Backwards. So I'll have Brandy be my shout-out, I guess. Hey! Anyhow, uh, take care out there. COVID's still a beast. It's grabbing people, people I know, even if it's in a parasocial kind of relationship way. I'm still aware of these people and they're contracting the virus. So yeah, take care out there and know that we love and appreciate you. And thanks for listening. Farewell. You have been listening to the Dark Corner Podcast with me, Brandy, and also David Jackola. Follow me on Twitter at BrandyWine12. Brandy is spelled with an I. Dave is at Dark Corner Cast. We have a group and a fan page on Facebook. Both are at the Dark Corner Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcasts Boldly Go, a Strange New Worlds podcast, The Vedic Assembly, a Deep Space Nine podcast, and What the Future Holds, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. You can see me discuss Star Trek Live on the Unready Room and the Kurt Ratz Productions YouTube channel. Kurt Ratz is Star Trek spelled backwards. I host my own podcast, Headcanon, wherein I guide you through the mazes of my mind. The Dark Track was offered for free as a promotional item or submitted by the artist or artist representative. The opening track is unbelievable as covered by Batavia. The closing track is At Last the End as covered by Cat Temper. All other music is used for illustrative purposes and no infringement of copyright is intended. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Dark Corner Podcast on Anchor.fm. And thank you for allowing us the time to keep you in the dark.
Dreams of Evil. The Dark Corner.